Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we're chatting with award-winning actor, director, and writer, David F.M. Vaughn. As an actor, David has worked on and off Broadway, most recently appearing as Lord Farquaad in the Broadway national tour of Shrek the Musical. As a writer, David just came off his first staffing gig, and we'll be talking about his experience on the show today. Welcome, David. Welcome, David. Hi. So good to have you here. Thanks. I'm very excited to be here. I'm a fan. Oh, great. But before we get into that uh, and our interview with you, we're going to talk about our week or what we call Adventures in Screenwriting. Lorian, how was your week? I spent most of the week in the muck pit, uh, sort of drowning in story and trying to break a project into um, a pitch that is a story, has a beginning, middle, and end, and an engine. And I have decided to write a premise pilot for this show. So trying to figure out what that is and how it relates to the engine and what the show, like the tone, like I broke it apart so wide and so big. And I just felt like uh, really lost. And uh, I talked to you about it, Meg. I talked to you about it, David, like, and everyone was so helpful and asked me such great questions, but I was just mad at everybody. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want it. What? It doesn't work. Right. I just got so frustrated. And, um, Last night I watched a TV show and I was like, oh, that's what it is. Like you you have to have a, a goal in the pilot. <laughs> like it was ding, so ding, ding, simple, ding, ding, ding. but it was like, I get so, usually I get so caught up in the details, but I was like, I couldn't, I don't know where I was. Like I was wide and then I got stuck in the details and I was all over the place. And it's funny, I, I'm doing a character workshop uh, where, you know, I'm talking about character and character want. And I did this on Wednesday night, wants and you relatable and you have to want for the character to get the thing that they want and all this stuff. And I wasn't doing it. I wasn't putting it into practice until I watched this show last night. I was like, uh, oh, I got it all of a sudden. So it was like, just that simple thing of, family TV night, watching a show, taking a break, turning that project off and like, oh, <laughs> ta-da. I mean, I, to be fair, I haven't sat down and like, you know, written it yet. Yeah, which means David and I are getting a text in about an hour, which is, <laughs> okay, that didn't work. That I don't know what I was thinking. Show. I didn't know what I was thinking. That doesn't work at all. This thing sucks. Uh, but But even if that's the case, I do get to have a good feeling, at least for the couple of hours this morning that That's I woke up. Right. Right. That's so I'm gonna right. savor these until I actually after I get off the show today. I'm gonna go type and be That's like, That's usually oh, half the reason what? I don't write. Cause I'm like, but as soon as I try this idea that's relaxed me, I'll find out it doesn't work. And then I'll go back into the pit. So I hear yes. you. Uh David, how was your week? Uh, it was good. It was kind of my first week back into reality. I had been, you know, staffing and, and doing this writer's room, which just ended last week. So it had been my only focus all day, every day. And so finally the kind of, they, they started production and our room closed. So the kind of clouds kind of parted and I got to get back to my own personal thing, which is a, 
I'm writing a new sitcom about gay parents. And um, it was kind of fun to kind of get back in the in the thick of it, but also at the same time, have my little sad about I'll never work again. I'm useless. I'll be unemployed forever. I got to have that moment, which was nice. Congratulations. That's a good feeling. Yeah, it's a good feeling. I feel it feels great. Can I ask David quickly, do you have like a way out of that? Because lately I've been feeling like that's my MO or especially I know I'm going to feel that after this premiere I have next Wednesday. So like, or are you still in it? I don't know how you're feeling right now. No, I mean, it's it's so natural. I, it it happen, uh, happens to me as an actor. So I, I would do a show for a year or two and it would close. And then I would just have these two weeks of like, this was a mistake. It was an accident. Those two years were an accident and it's never going to happen again. And that makes me sad. And then something else happens and you totally forget about it. You totally forget how sad you were. Um, I have no... Um, advice other than I am a fan of like leaning into the sad at first being like, yes, I'm allowed to be sad and I'm going to be sad. And then the next day I'm not going to be sad. But I think a lot of people are like, no, 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 no. Don't feel negatively override those feelings. And I think that is not the best case. I like to kind of embrace the sad with, you know, ice cream and cookies and, and Bravo. But beyond that, I like to come back the next day. Cause then I feel like I got it out a little bit. Well, you are mourning whenever you end, but be that on a set because the show end or or there's always a little mourning process after that, no matter how well it went, because you're not going to, you don't have those people anymore. You don't have that experience anymore. Or if as a writer, you've been hanging out with those characters for two years every day. And all of a sudden it's, you're moving on. So I think that's totally such great advice to just go ahead and mourn that and feel sad and eat your ice cream and watch Bravo and then be done and then get on to the next thing. Right. Um, my week is basically trying to get to the finish line and being super surgical and again, not really giving myself the time to do, I mean, always miscalculating how long it's going to take to do something because you think, well, I just have to change three lines in this scene. But oh my God, that's actually sometimes longer because it has to be the exact right line. And you might write 30 of them and still be like, oh my God, none of these work. And there's no time to change this whole scene. So what is the line? So it's not my favorite part of the process. I know other writers love that part. It's not my favorite part. I'd rather blow it up and make it work from a deep level. So the lines are just, I just get it. But that kind of noodle, make it work. It's not my favorite part, but it's part of the process because at some point you have to turn it in. I mean, even though your brain knows, well, I'm not sure that's going to work. And are we going to get that note? And you already know that, but you got to turn it in. And I do think that's a good thing. Like emerging writers who don't have deadlines, I think it can go on and on and on and on. Like at some point you got to give yourself a deadline, whether it's quote unquote finished and perfect or not, you got to give it to your friends. Um, Because the notes are going to come back and not be at all what's in your head or something's going to come out of right field or whatever. So I'm in the finish line a part of it and hopefully going on vacation next week hopefully um so that's my week um but let's get into the good stuff the good stuff with david um you know we all david we always ask each guest the uh, first question because our writers especially emerging are so interested which is how did you quote unquote break into the business well you know i was an overnight success really um no i i i had a long kind of meandering career to get to where I am now. I am one of those ampersands where I just couldn't be satisfied with just being one thing. So in my career, I've kind of done a lot of different things, but what brought me here was I was an actor and I kind of fell in love with acting 
and I went to college for acting and I moved to New York City. And I just, it was a combination of being lucky and being a guy and being medium talented. And I just never stopped working. Um, and those, and, and, and in my, the industry I was in, which is kind of Broadway or musical theater, kind of just like regular, regular looking guys were super in at the time. <laughs> I don't know why. And that just like, it, it happened to work really well. So I, I spent many years working as a, a, as an actor, and then it kind of bled into TV and film and some other things. And I had always had this what I guess I'll say director's brain or creator's brain, but I never really knew it. But I always saw the shows I was in and the projects I was working on from a macro view. Um, and I didn't know why, but I just always, what I would imagine the show, it was so rarely just like my performance or something specific. It was always the show as the whole. Um, and I think that is what naturally led me to writing and directing. And I had done, um, as Lauren was saying, Shrek the Musical for almost five years. And uh, we closed the tour in LA and I had somebody in my apartment and I was like, you know, in New York city. And I was like, you know, I think I'm just going to move to LA and study TV writing um, and directing and just make it happen. And uh, like right away, first pilot developmental deal. It was like, Oh, this is the best. This is amazing. This is so easy. That fell apart. Nothing ever happened again. I started to panic. I moved back to New York city. I was like, Oh, I guess I'll be a theater actor again. And that wasn't happening. And it was just like one of those things. And I, I decided then to just kind of rebrand myself when people would say, hey, what are you? What do you do? What is your job? I would always say actor. And I just said, I'm a writer and a director. I don't know. I didn't really have much to back that up except a pilot or two. Um, but I just kind of rebranded myself. And, um, and then it caught up with me, which was nice. I started to actually direct and actually write and then get paid for it, which was the bonus. Um, and that's kind of how, how I got to hear. How did you become, uh, like, so you rebranded yourself, but you're living in New York. And then how did you get into the LA, like your TV staffing gig? Like, what was that journey? Like we met at Cinestory. Yeah, well, we did. We met at Cinestory. So I, I have a, a very good friend, Joe McLean, who is a great writer and a director. And he is very, um, he, at the time, he was very into all the competitions. He knew all about them. He knew which were the good ones, which one were not ones not to waste your money on. Um, and I was for sure pessimistic about it. So I was like, all right, well, I'll do a year or two of them. I'll submit to them. And I got really lucky. I got, I won a couple, I placed in a lot of them and it was just enough to kind of go, okay, just quell my, my, uh, my, my fears just for a second. And one of them was send a story. I got to go and, um, hang out with Lorian, which was a waste of time, but, um, <laughs> just kidding. Thank you. Be, Thank you so much. Um, you I actually met a big smile on his face when he says that. It's, <laughs> but it's so funny. Like, if you want to know how we actually met we met in the line of the buffet, which is, That's right. <laughs> which makes the most sense. And I went up to her because I said, of all the bios, your bio made me laugh out loud because her bio was like, all the other bios were like, here's my things I did. And it was very wonderful. And her bio was like, I like friends. I eat chips and drink wine. Hi. It was like, so, and I was like, I want to meet her so badly. Um, yeah. So that was kind of what got me going um, and got me, you know, meetings. And, and I was on the blacklist, the website. Um, they, when they first started doing television, they did a, I guess they do it. Maybe they still do it. They do like a yearly TV staffers guide where they take the top 
writers for drama, I think it's 15, and then the top comedy writers, um, whoever have scored the most on their website. And they put together like the staffing guide. Then they, I guess they email it to people. I don't know. Um, and I got to be on the first one, which was really exciting um, for a pilot I had written. Um, so then it just kind of snowballed from there. I never did any more of the competitions, but I, I had garnished enough kind of momentum there. And then of course the kind of social game, like I was in LA, I was in writing classes, I was doing readings, I was going to premieres, I was meeting people and I was becoming friends with people who were also in the industry. Um, and it just kind of naturally built from there. When you say branding, can you talk a little bit more about that, that you decided to brand yourself? Um, I think that's super interesting. I, I understand when you said you started calling yourself a writer director, but do you have anything uh, else to say about advice to writers and writer directors about how you brand yourself or that process? You know, for me, it was, I was starting to get lost in the, what do I do? Am I a dancer? Am I a singer? Am I a writer? Am I a, cause I liked all these, I like to compose. I like to, <laughs> to light candles and eat nachos. Like I like I like a lot of things and it just felt silly constantly telling people, oh, these are all the things I did. Cause I could hear it in my voice. People would kind of go, you know, so you do a lot of things mediocre, but you're not really great at any of them. And so I so badly, I was so hungry to be a writer and a director. Um, the same hunger I had when I was a little younger about being an actor. I wanted to be on Broadway. I wanted to be on the Tonys. And when I got to do a lot of that stuff, the hunger went away. I never got, I never got pessimistic or bitter about it, but I just, the hunger went away, but the hunger was alive with writing. And I just, just made this decision looking back, I think it was to clear a lot of that. But at the time it was to see if that could get me work. When they asked me what I did and if I said writer and they had a writing job, they would give it to me. Um, so I just, I was just saying it. And then my website changed and no longer said actor. And, um, and, and it just kind of naturally went from there. And I, I kind of was like, uh, talk about yourself as if you already have the job you want and see if it kind of catches up with you. Um, and that was, it, it was, it was less intellectual than that, but that's looking back. That's kind of what I did. I really think well, that's, that's important. I've met a lot yeah. of emerging writers who not a lot, but enough that they'll, they, they are these kind of Renaissance style humans who exist and are amazing people, by the way, who can do actually a lot of things, uh, well. And so they'll say, well, I'm a writer, but I'm also a director and I do sound that I'm a composer and I've done some acting and I'm an ice skater and I wrote an opera and you're like, oh, so you don't, I, you really do think, I'm yeah. just being honest. Yeah. Oh, you don't do any of that well because Absolutely. most human beings have to commit, you know, 5 billion hours to do one well. By the way, I do think there's people who can do it all well. I'm not saying that's not a real thing. Um, but I think it's so important if you are one of those Renaissance people, because we assume the listener, oh, when it gets hard, you jump to the other thing. Sure. Which means that a mastery isn't happening. Again, I don't think that's true necessarily. Um, so I think it's so important to pinpoint where it, what road are you on right now? Doesn't mean you can't go on and write an opera or do anything later, but what road are you on right now? And I love that phrase, you know, call yourself and act as if you have the job you want. I think that's great. Yeah. And that's a lot about what we talk about on the show and what Meg, you have always encouraged me and everyone else to do, which is I'm a writer, right? You own it. And then you're telling people who you are. So then they understand who you are. You know, I was telling people I'm a showrunner without a show before I had a show. <laughs> and then people would be like, oh, okay. That's how she sees herself. That's who she is. And then people believe it. So if you say I'm a writer and a director, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. You, know, you, you are what with you. 
It starts with you. You're not waiting for someone else to tell you who you are. Yeah, you are what you say you are. And that's powerful. I'd be curious to kind of hear just like your overall sort of experience staffing for the first time. This is a vague question, but also like some of your big takeaways that you think might be valuable for our listeners who either are looking to staff or might be really early in their staffing career. Totally. Yeah. I, I, I had like a lot of people, you know, what is a staffing room? Like I, you know, I listen to all the podcasts. I've heard everyone talk about it, but like, there's this part of me that was like, yeah, but what is it really like? You know what I mean? Like they're all, they're all fucking lying to me. What is it really like? Like you walk into a room and then what happens? Like, I want to know their granular. So um, it was super fun. I, I, it was a dream. It was, it was super wonderful. And I was so lucky to, and fortunate to have a great, it was, it was five writers, um, a head writer and a um, writer's assistant. And um, yeah, it was great. So uh, I'll, I'll just talk about our show. Um, it, it, we kind of group broke all 10 episodes for the season of season two. Um, and then those kind of went up the chain for notes and, and rewrites. Um, and then they were sent to draft. So uh, scripts were given to each, you know, writer, depending on whatever. Um, so they're like, David, you're going to write, you know, episode 203. Um, and I had the outline, right? We had group written the outline already. And then I would actually write the script, which was mostly done. Um, and then it would kind of go through the chain of notes again, get more notes, more adjustments. And then we would do a group punch up. So we'd go line by line by line. And we'd be like, okay, the line is, how are you doing today, Charlie? Ah, is it funnier if he says like, what's up, Charlie? And then we'd have a 25 minute discussion about what's up or how you doing. Um, and then that would be implemented. So by the time it came out the other end, by the time the script was locked, it had been noted six to eight times and rewritten probably four or five times. So um, the one of the big takeaways that surprised me that I kind of knew a little bit about, but I wasn't really prepared for was the, the idea of ownership in television and how, oh, episode 203 is mine. It says written by David F.M. Vaughn. Holy shit. I'm going to send it to all my friends. They're going to see the jokes. They're going to be like, how complex are those characters? And it's so amazing. And then when you realize it, it's like, no. That is kind of all of our script. We all put in stuff there. This script is maybe not as much me as, you know, 205, which I didn't write, but man, I wrote that whole scene in there. And I realized that like, nobody has complete ownership of it. And why I think it hit me differently was pre-staffing. That is everything, right? Your pilot in your voice. It is your collateral to show people, right? It's the thing you put in front of them and be like, am I worthy or not? This is all me. Every, every period was thought about and you can track it back to me and judge me and rate me on that. So to come into a room and have my name on a script that is 11 people's script when you count all the, you know, the producers and the star and the assistants and all the things that the notes that come down, it isn't yours in the same way. And that is a weird feeling because you start to go, wait, 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 wait. I want to point out, I'm going to highlight the things that were me so you can compliment me on that. And anything that's not great, then I'll, it's not. And it was such a weird change in my brain because there is no ownership. It is a group, this, at least our room and, and in comedy specifically, it is kind of a group effort. And luckily we had such an amazing group and it was a lot of yes anding in the room. Um, but that's what was really weird for me because, you know, I had to submit a pilot to, for my interview and they read it. And so they know my voice, but now my voice has to be different in the room. Now my voice has to be solving problems and coming up with 10 ideas for the, the, 
you know, the ice cream guy to say, right. And, and, and whenever they pick one, seeing if I can punch that up and it all kind of blends into this one thing. And, and so that was a big takeaway for me where, um, and of course that's ego, right. That's, that's like, I want to be recognized for the work I did. Um, but a, a lot of it was just surprising. I just did. I had no idea. I thought when it said written by that's my script, those are my jokes. That's what I thought. That's what I thought he should go to the park. So I made him go to the park. Ah, yeah. Well, the star of the show doesn't want to go to the park. Well, okay. You know, it, it's, it's, it was an interesting dynamic there. We had an incredible writer's assistant and I, I had always kind of, I knew writer's assistants took notes, didn't really know what else they did beyond that. And she maybe, I don't know if this is an old phrase, but like she held the pen, which means like when we would meet, we'd meet on zoom and she would share her screen, which was the FDX document. And as we're chatting and as we're like, well, what about this line? She's adding it in real time or she's adding the alternate jokes in and then we'll see it and we go, ah, it doesn't really work and delete, 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 delete. And she's doing this all uh, in real time as like six people are barking at her. She was incredible and she was just right on top of it. And then at the end of a six hour room, when we've been talking all day, we get these gorgeous notes about everything that was said by who, what was decided, um, a, a consolidated version of that. Um, and it was, it, it, the job is insane. The job, I, I could never in a million years do the amount of work that she did. She was incredible. Um, yeah. Can, can you talk a little bit about, you know, we, we write these pilots that are our voice, right? Yeah. We, these are our calling cards. These are essentially our resume and showrunners are reading for voice. They are matching skills and personality, all of that. So when you got into the room and it was this sort of realization of they, 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 staffed you for that, for who you are and what you bring in your experience. But they also, there's this expectation of you have to learn the voice of the show. So how do you balance that? Can you talk about a little bit about what the real struggle is in that? Like if you have an example of that and then like how you figured out how to do that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's the other kind of big takeaway is that you, like you said, you come in with your voice and you're like, you read my script, you know, these are my jokes. This is what I like. And then the show has its own voice. I wrote for season two of an existing show. So the show was set up. The characters were there. The voices were there. I had to write for those voices, which I was like, okay, I can do that. But there's also a um, uh, an element of taste that I think when we think of the word taste, we think of like good taste or bad taste. You understand comedy, you don't. That's a funny joke. That's not a funny joke. But it's actually not. There's a taste of how the show does and how it performs and why, why the jokes need to be said a certain way. And you may think, well, I have a better taste. Um, uh, I, 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 this is a better joke. And they're like, no, no, the joke is here. And you're like, but that's not as funny, but that's not your job because a, your job is to, to write in the voice of the show and, or the showrunner, but B that is now the right taste. That is good taste now, right? Because that is the show to, to write for. And it took me, I would say four days where I'd be pitching these jokes and they'd be like, well, no, that doesn't work because blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, I like, this is, I don't understand. And what I didn't realize I had to train my brain to start thinking in the way the show works and why the, if the show, you know, I'm, I'm all, you've read my stuff, Lauren, like my stuff is very adult. It's very like broad and dick jokes. And like, you know, this was not that show. So like, I'm having to retrain my brain to write funny jokes for an animated snake. Right. I, ha I have to like do that. And so that was the lesson I learned was immediately start 
training your brain to start thinking about the show in a different way and make your voice the show's voice. And I was, I would learn from the showrunner, the showrunner would edit live, right? They, we would all pitch five jokes and, and they would choose one of the jokes. And I started to learn, okay, he tends to like this. He tends to like shorter words. He tends to like punch here. He was like, you know, a nice scene blow here. And then by week two, three, we, I think kind of all had gotten kind of uh, that group voice. And then we were just, it was so much easier that way. Um, but that, that is a struggle because again, that pre-staffing, when do you get to do that? Right. I, I wrote a, a spec episode of Brooklyn nine, nine. And so I did that a little bit, but I didn't have producers and executives and studios giving me notes on things and people building things and say, we can't build that thing you wrote. Can you rewrite it? I didn't have that. So that was, that's a hard thing for a first time staff writer is to train your brain to think differently than you have for the past X amount of years that created the script that got you in the room. Can you talk a little bit about those limitations? Like you're in a second season of a show. There's probably some amount of sets that exist. There's a budget. There's like, there's rules. So you can't just be like in a spec. You could be like, I'm going to take them to the subway. You don't have to think about the budget or location scouting or time of day or whether it's night, it's two in the morning, you know? So how do you, again, it's that shift of, I'm a brilliant voice on my own to I'm a supportive, brilliant voice in the room. <laughs> How yeah. do you do that? Yeah, it's, it's again, there's just no training grounds for this because the, the, the world is your oyster when you're writing all, all these original scripts to impress people. But the skill of a staff writer is to write for the show that exists. So yeah, so, you know, it took a while to learn. There was um, uh, standalone sets. There was no swing sets, but they did block shooting, which is really difficult when it comes to production. And so like, if you don't know what block shooting is, it's basically where, you know, they, if we had 10 episodes and in every episode, they're in the living room for this specific kind of scene, they shoot all living room scenes in a row. So 201 living room, 202, 203, 204. So they can just kind of use that set and then get rid of it and move to the next one. So the block shooting makes, you know, production and writing very difficult because by day three, they've already shot the the living room and you can't, there's there's no changing there. We're done with the living room. We, we you know, the first couple of days, they we had many presentations from the the, the head writer and from uh, the producers and, and from the star. And we got to learn a little bit about like how the show operates as it is, what the standing sets are, but also what they want different for season two. Like, here's the tone of the show. We want to adjust the knobs a little bit this direction and a little bit this direction. However, at, luckily, one of the writers on our staff was um, <clears throat> the assistant from the previous season. So I had a lot of experience being like, hey, love that idea. FYI, remember, that doesn't work in that space because X, Y, and Z. So those are the things where you go, oh, I'm brilliant. I come up with brilliant ideas and brilliant jokes. Look at all my brilliance. And they're like, great, we can't afford your brilliance. Can your brilliance happen in a kitchen? Can that scene happen in a kitchen? And therein lies the skill of a staff writer, being brilliant with the limitations. And, and I, I don't have an answer as far as like how to just be good at that. I would say, do everything you can to have your sad on day one or two about they're not listening to my brilliance. And on day three or whatever, be ready to fight within those guardrails. And, you know, we talk about, we love having deadlines and stuff. It actually is a blessing for you as a writer to be like, okay, I got to write within these walls for this voice. And this actor can do this thing, but is not great at this thing. So right in this lane, it's actually a blessing. And it, and it gives you a little bit of a focus, which is nice. 
And on the feature side, sometimes you're in a room and the, the writer just keeps pitching the same idea. And you're like, that director and this, the series are not going for this. So move on. But they just can't because, and again, by the way, it might be a great idea, but it is not flying today. And so you got to just, you got to revamp your brain. And, and, and that's kind of, I like that. And some writers don't, that on the spot, you got to recalibrate it and pitch it in a different way or find a new solution. I, I, I love that, that kind of work, but I totally agree. Totally agree. And I think it's important to recognize that, you know, this show is very, this show is great. I'm obsessed. But one of the best parts of the show is we talk about like the emotional kind of part of screenwriting, right? And pre kind of, doing the work and especially on TV, it's very much like validate me, tell me I'm a good writer, uh, let me know that I'm doing the right thing. Um, and then when you get in the room, that doesn't go away. Like it's still on your shoulders. You're like, please validate me. Please tell me my jokes are funny. And there's just not time for that. And it does, that's just not, that's just not what it is. Your job becomes something different. And to make that switch emotionally is hard and it's all ego, right? It's all ego driven, but for your first time, it's hard to shed some of that, like defending yourself and defending your jokes because it's all coming from a proving to, to proving to everyone that you belong here but you're there already. Exactly. And that's what, yeah. the fact that you're in the room and, and that's for so, everybody else in the room, yeah. you're in the room. So let's go. And it's all about the work and they're not there to tell you how good you are. You're there to help them do a show or do a movie or do whatever. And I, I had the same when I went to Pixar for the first time, every night I go back to the hotel room and have a little meltdown because you are like so uncertain. I was just so uncertain. Am I doing well? Am I doing good? And because you don't know because there's that feedback isn't what they're there for. And you just, I just, you, I agree. You just have to kind of get over it. And, and Meg, going. I would text you at 10 PM and say, Hey, how many pages are you going to have tomorrow? So you knew you were invited back the next day. <laughs> I, was still, I was still a writer there. There is a huge disconnect though, between like the artist that is a like, sensitive person who like David was saying, like wants to be told you're creative and interesting and intelligent and the job of being a team member, building a building, right? It's like, you kind of become a contractor that's building something. And I don't know if I'm saying this in the right way, but it's a different job. Yeah. I'm just glad you didn't go into sports metaphors because you totally <laughs> lost me. I would have been just, I would have literally end meeting for all. I just, I wouldn't have been able to follow you. No, but it's, it's, it's important to pair that with the ego. Like this is not about me. It's now about the group. And, and, and by the end, when I came out the other side, I was like, that was so fun. I get the job. I love the job. I love being collaborative. Um, but the other thing that I, I want to like advise people if, if they, if they're about to do their first staffing is, is to not walk in apologetically. It's to not walk in the room. Like there's a favor. I don't really belong here. That is, we all are going to feel that way, right? We're all garbage people. We don't deserve any of our success, but when you walk in that room, how dare you? <laughs> well, yeah, I was looking right at you when I said that, um, <laughs> but like, don't apologize for being there. Walk in guns blazing now within confines, right? You've had previous guests say like, you know, understand the political nature of the room and, and yes, and, and don't just poo poo things and you know, all the things that are all right. But I think also make sure you come in there and you're like, great, here's my idea for that. I think there's a, uh, you know, we all have that devil on our shoulder saying like, don't say anything. Cause then if you speak up too much, they're going to know you don't belong here. Um, and that you're a mistake and you shouldn't have been here the whole time. Um, but it's just not, you're, you're there, you got the job, 
you got it. You're ready to go. Now give me your, tell me what you want the frozen banana to say. Well, because you know what what's I mean? important is because if you're just thinking, which by the way, I did the exact same thing when I went to Pixar for the first time, you're just thinking in your brain about, should I talk? Do I not talk? You know, are they mad at me because the, you know, Andrew Stanton's getting red in the cheeks. And is this because I talk like you just, your brain is on overdrive, right? some sort of survival mechanism kicks in. And yet if you're doing all that, your brain is not listening to the story issues on the table. Like you're, you're taking up a lot of your energy self-reflecting. And I think that eventually, and it can happen very quickly, just how to be interested in the story. You just have to be fighting for the character or what, you know, that's why you're there. That's the part of the brain that you need. They don't need you to, but it is very normal. And I totally hear you. They do need you to speak up. They hired you. They hired you. Yeah, yeah, and inevitably I think that part of bringing yourself to it too. I remember when I was at Pixar and I got promoted from being a script supervisor to a manager. I was like, what's that job? I don't know. What's a department manager do? And so I looked at other department managers. And then when I took the job, I was copying what they did, how they did the job. And it was awful. I was terrible. And about three days in, I was like, oh, no, no, I just have to be me doing this job. And I think that's a, a similar thing in being a staffing writer. Staffing writer? Staff writer? A writer in a room. Sorry. Words are hard. What? Words are hard. Words are hard. Um, I'm going to do great with my project later this afternoon, you guys. I feel really good about it. Excited about um, the text. Was, was, yeah. <laughs> was, um, you know, when you show up in a room, uh, be, be, that's the bringing yourself to it piece, right? Get out of your head, Meg, like you were saying. Like, don't worry about, am I doing this right? Am I as good as? Am I going to be better? Am I doing this right? Um, be a, I, mean, I want to get into that too, David, like the sort of do's and don'ts that you learned, right? Outside of being on time and, you know, keep your camera on, but, but it's sort of showing up as yourself being a staff writer, which is hard when you're full of self-doubt or fear or anxiety and all of the things, but somehow you have to be present as yourself. I was late to the first day of writer's room. So <laughs> it was my plane had landed late and I was literally like on the runway trying to get on a zoom call. And it was like so embarrassed. And I was so, and of course, looking back, like it was no big deal. And it was just a like, uh, whatever, but like, I was so humiliated. My flight was canceled and oh my God, it was like a whole thing. Um, yeah. Come show up on time. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's the things that I have often heard on from some of your other guests and other podcasts where, you know, you want to keep the ball going. And that doesn't mean you can't say that idea doesn't quite work because X, but you want to say, however, blank, right? Improv skills, yes, and. So you, it's very easy to be like, oh, no, 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 but that's not the episode I'm writing in my head. So you're, you're, you know, she doesn't go to the park because in my head, that's not how it goes. It's to hear what they're saying, think about it. And if there's an issue, be like, how can I solve that issue? And then bringing it up and keeping the ball rolling. And, and you, you know, it's like dating. It takes a little while for the chemistry to get going where we're not talking over each other every five seconds. Um, and then it, it gets great. And then, you know, everyone, it, we had a really, we had an amazing room where the balance of kind of personalities was so lovely. We had like two loud mouths, which was me, me of course was one of them. Uh, and we had people who kind of were really good about sitting back and would come in and solve crises and then kind of pull back. It was, it was such a great balance of power, but they were all so different. And like you were saying, they came in with their own voices and their own stories and their own um, ideas, which were so great. And then our head writer would kind of funnel those and kind of point those all in the same direction until we were all 
kind of pitching the world that we should have been. Um, and so I was very fortunate that our um, our head writer and our staff and everyone was really great. I know that isn't always the case in television, um, but I was lucky that my first um, job was that. So that would be my really only do's and don'ts is like, don't apologize for being there. Um, do constantly try to help solve the problems and try as you can to leave that or work on leaving that ego out of the room is when your jokes are just never getting chosen. Keep trying and keep trying to adjust what you what the joke they need is. Keep trying to fight for what they need and not just try to reconvince them that your joke is actually funnier. Because it's not. They heard you. Zoom is working. Your microphone is on. They heard you. They said no. Now moving on. Um, and that just takes a minute to kind of get your ego off of your shoulders. Um, because again, rightfully so, our entire life before this moment is tell me I'm okay. And everyone has said no until then. Everyone has looked at your writing and said no. And finally they said yes. And we have to take yes for an answer because there's too much work to do. We have six weeks to write 10 episodes. That's not enough time to coddle you, David. And I need coddle. I need to be held. I'd be curious how your experience as an actor has informed your writing career. And I think I'd also be curious for our writers who want to be thoughtful and mindful about writing for actors, what should they consider on the page? So the first question, so how do my acting kind of affect my writing, I, <clears throat> I've obviously read a lot of scripts. I've performed a lot of scripts. So I, um, I think I got good at recognizing interesting and evocative writing, though I didn't know how to make it. I could easily recognize when somebody knew what they were doing or somebody was just copying a scene from the movie and putting it on stage or whatever they were doing. Um, uh, but I actually think my, my experience as a director helped me the most only because like I said, that macro view actors, and this is not a dig at actors. I am one are very self-centered in that they are very much thinking about their character, where they came from, where they're going, how they're feeling, because that's their job. They're not thinking about, well, in this scene, the lighting is a little harsh and that totally doesn't match the scene three. Like they just, they, they're not thinking that way. So I think the directing actually helped me understand why in some shows or some movies or whatever that I didn't have the line I should have had, or I wasn't the focus, or why am I not doing this? And kind of understanding all the parts that each performer plays. Um, and as far as like how to write for actors, um, I think somebody had asked, do I write a lot of um, parentheticals or kind of actor direction in my scripts? And the answer is yes, I personally do. However, I want to clarify things. I think some people go, well, act, you know, he raises his eyebrow here and takes a deep breath. That I think is more a little directorial and a little less what I, what I try to write. But what I do want to write when it comes to parentheticals and, you know, the, the ever-loving dash dash is I want to make sure the actor specifically understands what I mean. By here are the words that you say. Here's what I mean about that. I mean that you're at, you're saying I love you, but you actually mean you don't. Not because I'm trying to direct you, but I want to make sure you're oriented into what I meant. And then from there, director and or actor can kind of take it. But it's it's just about I don't want to make I don't want to offer any confusion to anybody. So <clears throat> I think some writers are afraid to do anything, right? But and then some writers over 
do it. They're like, and then she turns left and then she grabs her purse and then she does this and she does this. I like to just make sure everyone is oriented into what I mean and what I'm trying to explain to you as this, this how to make a movie document we're creating. Um, and then you take it from there. So I do like to write, I, it, most of it comes from punctuation from me, <clears throat> excuse me, not parenthetical. So I will often do a dash dash, ellipses, um, that kind of stuff I love because as an actor, those are the pauses that I'm really pulling the most juice out of. Um, I was just teaching, I'm teaching at um, Joffrey this summer and I was teaching an acting class. And that was one of the things I was trying to teach is that the best acting and the most memorable scenes are so rarely the, we're like, oh, they said these words. We remember these like emotions coming through between the words before choking up as they're trying to say, I love you, but they can't. Those are the moments we remember. <clears throat> so to be able to write that is difficult, but that's why I like to use kind of the, 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 the dash dash way too see my scripts. They're insane. Um, but I don't often write a lot of parenthetical because it just, it doesn't feel like my job. Um, but I know that's a, that's a common question. So as far as like how it relates to acting, I don't know if I'm better at writing for actors because I'm an actor, but I do know that what has helped me with dialogue is that my dialogue is not as clean as I once thought it was because I'm an actor, because people don't talk. I'm going to go to the store tomorrow. Okay, mom. People don't talk that way. And being an actor, I've, I've read really great scripts that are very broken up and they're very conversational. And that has been very helpful to me. So I try to make sure I write for human sounding humans um, instead of the, you know, very your, formal. Your interpretation of the parentheticals and, and all that is to, to root it emotionally so that the reader or the actor understands the emotional integrity of the story. Yeah, the subtext, the emotional subtext yeah. that's going on yeah. underneath is, and, and I agree, if you do it too much with parentheticals, they'll just stop reading them. Like yeah. it has to be like, this is ironic. This is, she's saying this in a worried way, even though you could read it, that this is angry, right? Like it's always like, you really need to understand the complexity of the emotion of that simple sentence is the only time I ever use them. But I also, I like dashes too, by the way, I, and little dots and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, but that's I like why dashes. I like to use punctuation because I, I want to make sure actors have runway to find it and to do it themselves as well. Because actors need to meet you you can't just tell an actor be sad here and go and walk over there. It just, it's just not how they act. So to allow them to find it with you, but to you kind of lead them a little bit with those dashes to be like, there's a dash dash here because she's unsure of what to say next without saying she's unsure of what to say next. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's a little bit of cheating, but it, it I think it does it, when you read it from the page, I think it is helpful for an actor to see that kind of stuff. I think what's so smart too is just as a litmus test to echo what all of you are saying, if you're on the fence about using a parenthetical, ask the question, does this clarify my script? Because there are some parentheticals that either over detail your script or sometimes even muddy your script. Whereas I think if you come to a line of dialogue and like the goal should always be clarity in our writing. If you feel like the parenthetical is clarifying a line or a moment, then, then that's the right time to use it. I don't use them because they take up too much space on the page. <laughs> like they, yeah. my page count goes off the chart. So I this just episode don't is use 22 them. pages and it will not be a page over. over. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I write dense scripts, I think, and I need the, the lines that I have. So hopefully 
I'm like, gosh, maybe I should look at this. But I'm like, parentheticals, I don't use parentheticals. And then I'm like, oh no, do I not write subtext? Like, is it all just that? So then of course, no. now I'm all spinning. Oh my God. Oh Thank my you God. so no. much, everybody. Yeah. Have a great place to yeah. My, one of my favorites is like when you write a character who says yes, and the parenthetical is no, or, you know, a vice versa, right? To really give them the, like, no, they, they, they mean no, but they're saying yes. Um, now, as an actor, what is the kind of writing that will make you say yes to a script? How much does it pay? <laughs> end of end of list. No, um, uh, I, I, you know, it, it's. I, I wish I had something different to say than what all all of you have said, and and the and the and the really talented people have said. But like, it's just when there is a interesting, unique relationship. It's not necessarily about the dialogue. It's like, how do I relate to that other person in this scene? It's an argument scene, it's a love scene or whatever, but like there's something interesting about the way they relate to each other, how they talk to each other. Um, that is always fascinating to me. Um, and it's in subtext is an obvious one where, where when there's a lot going on, so you as an actor can be like, man, I'm going to really dig my teeth into this. Um, so subtext and, and just relationship guy in the middle of the field just talking to himself is just, I guess that's letter Kenny, but it's, but it, there's, there's, there, there's just not a lot to that for an actor often. But when I see a really juicy scene between two people, that is very interesting as an actor. I love that. I love that. Now Great. I have something else to work on on my pitch. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> I feel particularly impassioned about telling writers that they can direct. Like if they have that instinct or that desire, They've been told by the industry or by powerful people or these nebulous voices that they can't. Directors are special people and they don't have it because they're writers. But I, I think I'd be curious to hear from you, like how can writers who have that itch or that curiosity create opportunities to try directing? You know, I, I lived in LA for a while and I and one of the things I loved about LA that I don't think necessarily lives in New York is the idea of kind of making your own stuff. Um, and there's just no excuse anymore not to make your own stuff. Movies are made on iPhones now. Um, so what I would say is that we are unfortunately in an industry of prove it, <clears throat> prove to me that you can do this. Um, I struggle with this too, where, where they're like, well, show me the thing that proves you can do the thing. I'm like, well, here are six other things. If you can open your, no, I need to see, did you do the thing already? And can I judge that? So it is hard, especially if you've if you've never directed. I am a fan of of starting small. Direct a reading of a script with your friends. Direct a community theater production of something. Make a silly SNL style commercial on your iPhone. Do something because I uh, I have I lost a job one time uh, for writing for this this commercial, and the guy was like, "If you can show me anything, anything you've written that is on screen, anything." I'll hire you. I just need to show something to my boss. And at the time I had nothing. I was like, I've written all this stuff and I'm a really good director in theater. Look, he's like, do you have any? And I said, no. So my advice would be get the smallest thing on, on tape, anything. It literally a two minute skit that you've written with your friends um, is so important in this industry of prove it to me. Um, and inevitably like work begets work begets work. And you doing that little two minute video will actually inspire you to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Um, but that would be it. I, I, until I had collateral in my hands, it was really hard to convince people to let me do things. And now I've got, you know, 10 pilots and three features. I got all this stuff that I can like show people, but it prior to that, I was like, well, I'm a good writer. I swear. And they're like, mm, are you really? Um, 
Wait, I want to go really quickly before we end. I want to go to one thing. We're talking about the screenwriting competitions. I am not sponsored by them, but one that I really love besides Cine Story, it's called NYC Midnight. Have you ever heard of this? It is not like your traditional one where you're like, submit your scripts and the best script wins and you get an interview with this manager. It is a writing prompt one where, you know, they, the night before you have to start, they, they give you your prompt and it's divided into categories. So it'll be like for this group, it's mystery. The character is a postman and the object is a knife. And then you have three days to write a 12 page script and then you submit it. And then they take the top 20%, they, you know, they rate them or whatever, and they do round two and then they do round three and they go through all the rounds and whittle it down to the winner. And the best, I was very fortunate enough to win that competition, but the best part of the competition was you're forced on a deadline and you're forced to write in a genre or about something that you did not plan on, that you haven't been baking around in your head all day. And my first genre was mystery. It's like mystery. I've never, I don't even know what mystery, like I was like so mad. I was like, I'm not doing this. This is stupid. This is stupid. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And then the next morning I woke up, I was like, all right, if I want to write a mystery, like, you know, I was forced into it. And it was so good for me and so good to broaden my brain and to go, wait, I can write a drama. And so like round one is thing is 12 pages. Round two is five page. No, 12 pages. Round two is like six pages. Round two is like three pages or something. But the last round, you have to write it in 24 hours. So it is like, do or die, let's go. Um, so it was really great. So that was a good one. Um, it wasn't super expensive to, to enter and it was just fun to tell, have somebody tell me what to do. What was so the name of it again? What is NYC it? Midnight, NYC like New York Midnight. City Midnight. And oh they have God. like a, they have like you a- You all better do it. I want yeah. it, I want it on the Facebook page. Tell me that you're doing it. I think it's, it's so good. It's so fun. And what I'll suggest to you, if you don't make it to round two or round three, keep doing them. So you'll see they post all the winners and then they post what the next round's things are. Pretend that you're in it and write it anyway in those times because it's so good for you. You get to read the winners? Yeah. See that? You're going to learn so much. Yeah. Oh my God. You're going to learn so much. They post the screenplays afterwards. One thing I want to say about your great advice about making something is that you actually get to see if you like it. Right. It's like, oh, I want to be a director. Give me a shot. Give me a shot. But then you're doing it and you're like, oh, I love this or this is the piece I love and I'm good at. And this is the piece I need to learn or I fucking hate this. I am not doing this. Right. It's good to know so that you can sort of like, OK, I'm going to let that go or I'm not ready for this. I'm a I have a friend skills. who's a writer. And after you directed his first thing, he was like, oh, yeah, directing's for suckers. <laughs> like, oh, it's so good. You directed something. That's great. You found that out. Yeah, I like aspects of it. I like directing voice actors. I like post. I like, you know, location scouting. I like planning shots, but like the actual, like, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I'm doing a little bit of it right now, so we'll see, but. Oh, I know. love it. It's the best. But like, but, but one of the things I love about making it too, is that you also can be like, God, you know, I wish directors would just do this thing. I just don't want to do it. So I'm going to do it. And then you do it and you're like, oh, that's why they don't do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You quickly go, oh, that's, that's, that's why that doesn't exist. Or that's well, why that people happens don't do it. That happens in TV, right? Like you're in the room now. And so then you're like, oh, well, that's why these big grand things aren't like there's a budget and there's, you know, notes and there's a taste and a vision of the show that you can't just, you know, go off and write your episode, which is, I think, is such an important distinction. The point you made right at the beginning that like, yes, your name is on that, but you had a hand in every single script and every writer in the room had a hand in the script you wrote too. So you know, it is what, definitely an all hands on deck collaborative thing. 
in the room you were in. Some are different. Some really are, here's your script, go do, I imagine. I don't know about those, but. I think if you went through and highlighted everything that I personally created out of my brain only and lasted and did that for all the people, all these scripts would just be giant rainbows, right? I'd be like, yeah, in that episode, I have this little block of dialogue, but then this one is all me, but this one, I have nothing to do with it. Like it's, yeah, it's, there's no ownership there. You collectively- And then there shows that there's a giant, famous creator showrunner at the top who gets your script and rewrites the whole thing and their voice, they just needed that platform, that runway, that context. And there's a room of people that made that. I mean, so it is different every show. And I'm sure that's a completely different experience of managing that expectation and managing that personality and all of that. So um, each one is a different family and you go in and figure out the dysfunction and figure out why they're beautiful and go, right? So let's do our final three questions. We always ask our guests the same three questions. And since you're a fan, I expect you to be prepared. (laughs) Okay, what brings you the most joy when it comes to your writing? (laughs) I laugh laugh because I'm I'm gonna sound like a sociopath. My, My favorite part about writing, honestly, is like, for whatever reason, you read something you've already written that maybe you haven't thought about in a while. And going back through and like, laughing out loud or like being like, oh yeah, that's like, that's, that's pretty good. And just those small little reminders, those little ego boosts of like, you, you can do this sometimes. You're not total, a total dumpster fire. I mean, you are, but like, this was funny. And you, and like laughing out loud at something that you have done prior, these good little nuggets of like, oh, okay. All right. I, 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 I'm okay now until tomorrow. I love that. Um, and, uh, what pisses you off about your writing? You guys have talked about like the, what is it? 30,000 foot view or whatever, 3000 foot view. It's kind of like that where I, I have this feature I've been mulling about for years and years and years. And it's, it's all there. I'm look, I'm in the helicopter. I'm looking down and it's this gorgeous Valley and there's houses and there's bridges and there's tunnels and there's trees and there's parks. And it's all so wonderful. And I can't wait to put it on paper. And I keep trying to lower the helicopter and there's power lines. Okay. Well, I'm going to go over to the park. Well, don't go to the park because there's intersecting lines underneath the park. And that's kind of confusing. Go somewhere easier. Okay. Well, I'll go over here. And I just spend my time not being able to break into the story because I've decided in my head, it's too complex and everything's connected to each other that there's no way to start so then I just don't fucking start and I sit around and pout and that pisses me off so much because I have seen the movie so many times and it's great and Jim Carrey's the star of it and he's really he's got a commanding performance and there's this great musical number at the end I just there's nowhere to start because it's all connected and so complex and sorry it's never going to get written and that fucking (laughs) pisses me off (laughs) Farf draft that's what it's time for it's time for a farf draft that is my <sighs> prescription. And my prescription is write it as badly as you can. That's my prescription. Um, go ahead, Jeff, you asked the last one. Yes. Um, David, if you could be remembered for one scene that you've written, what scene would that be and why? Can I, can it be something I've directed instead? I just like, I was thinking about that and I was like, all the things I've written, I don't know. Like I, uh, there are certain things I like, but there's, there's something I did once, which I was very proud of because I was directing a production of Mamma Mia. Now everyone relax. I know it's not the greatest show in the world. It's not the greatest movie. It's a silly script or whatever, but I, I struggled with getting personally connected with it and feeling anything other than glittery disco balls, bullshit. And I was just feeling kind of down. And the end of the show, if you don't know, it is um, Donna, who's the, you know, the, the lead, her daughter's going off to get married. And so the, the end of the show is typically daughter and mother hugging, daughter and new fiance 
by themselves walking all the way upstage to the, the, the giant lit moon and they big hug and it's romantic and they're going to go off under their journey. And that's the end of the show. And I just, I just always felt so uh, stupid and I just didn't know what it was. And I just, it's got like one of these days in rehearsals, I was just like, the show is not about her. It's not about this girl. It's about the mom and her relationship to her daughter. And I just went, fuck, how do I make that the end of the show? And it was a tiny change, but all of that happened that I just told you and daughter and, 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 um, uh, fiance started to walk off stage. And then daughter kind of says like, I'll catch up with you runs back, gives mom a big hug, daughter runs off. And then we're just left with mom. And we were left with mom as the kind of lights were just slowly coming. And mom just kind of blows an air kiss to where her daughter once was. And that's where we live. And then she closes the door and that was the end of the show. And I don't know why, I don't know why that, that is, I, I think about that a lot, but like, it, it was this like, Oh, I just got overwhelmed in rehearsal. I kind of choked up a little bit. I, it just, I was like, ah, and that feeling that like high that where I feel like we chase as writers and directors and actors, like that was like peak high. And it was this regional production of Mamma Mia, like who cares, but it just like, Oh God, it felt so good. And, and so I'm, I'm very proud of that. It's so beautiful. Lovely. So, yeah. so beautiful. It's such a good reminder too. It's always character and it's relationship, right? It's People think they think they want a big happy wedding ending and that's the end of the show, but they really want to see a mom yearn for the relationship she once had with her daughter. Like that's what we want. So, and that you could recognize this show is about the mother and mm-hmm. that happens so much in our writing, you know, I, I love that. Very emotional. Yeah. Thank beautiful. you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And uh, to our audience, if you haven't yet, please check out our Facebook community um, for additional support and guidance and questions. And I just want to add here, uh, only because it was so good, and I want as many people to hear it as possible. On our Patreon, we had Sheila Hanrahan Taylor go over log lines. And even if you don't give a crap about log lines and you never want to write one, I still want you to go on and listen if you can, because it was all about writing. It was all about the questions of a log line we're drilling, immediately directing in right to the concept that you're writing. And it just brought to, it brought up all the questions and how these writers as they pitched to her were thinking about their own stories. It was really, really a masterclass and super insightful. So I just wanted to throw that out there. And just to That's awesome. piggyback quickly, once you sign up for that tier of Patreon or workshop tier, you get access to all the workshops. So you'll hear Sheila's amazing workshop and you'll hear Lorian's amazing character workshop and their story workshops. And I, I'm i biased, but I personally feel like it's a really, really great way to spend some money for some education. So it's definitely worth thinking about. And um, I'm glad you brought it up, Meg. Well, thank you, David, for being on the show. And thank you, Meg. And thank you, Jeff. And our interns. And remember, you are not alone and keep writing. Thanks for tuning in to the Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash the screenwriting life or email us at the screenwriting life at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it. And not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.